Let's get ready to start on our adventure into the fourth gospel, the gospel of John. And uh, it's going to be not a four-week series, but it'll be an ongoing thing. And we'll take a little breaks in between uh, to do something else just to break up. Because I know if I just stayed in John year for another month or two or three or four or a year from now, we're still in John, that you would be, oh, my God, that's all we know is John. I'd be like myself, oh, I know it's John. I need a little difference. You know, sometimes difference is good. Break up the monotony is a good thing. So, but we're going to be in John for a while. And uh, we're going to take it from John 1 all the way to John chapter 21. I uh, thought I'd just basically just introduce uh, John and uh, say a few things about John and give us the, the theme of the book and what it's all about. And then we'll start with John 1, 1 uh, next Sunday and begin our adventure. I hope you are excited when it comes to the things of God. And I definitely hope that you and I are excited when it comes to the Word of God. And uh, somebody says, I've read John. Well, I've read John too. But hey, there's a lot of things in John that, uh, that I know I'm going to learn and I'm excited to be able to share that with you. Amen. And uh, what I would like for you to do in the next oncoming weeks is uh, sort of what I heard a preacher say, if each one of us bring one, then we will have more people here to be able to hear the gospel of John. Amen. So your challenge this week in the oncoming weeks is each one of us is to bring somebody else along with us. Amen. Each one, bring one. And then we'll watch God work in our lives. All right, John chapter the book of John. Uh, John is a, is a very good book. It's the fourth gospel uh, that's listed here in, our, in a, what we would call the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, we call the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're known as the synoptic gospels because they give us a, a synoptic or a snapshot. They're very similar in their writing in terms of what they talk about Jesus but uh, John is a little bit different. Each one in Matthew and Mark, or Matthew and, and Luke, talk about the birth of Christ. That's where we usually get the Christmas story. Matthew talks about the birth of Christ, all the things about the shepherds and all that stuff. Luke does the same thing. Uh, Matthew talks about Christ as the king, who he was. He's of the realm of the, of the throne of David. So Matthew pictures Christ as the coming king who is going to rule. Mark, on the other hand, deals with the Gospel of Mark talks about Jesus as a servant. So it talks about how he served, how he, he worked with people throughout his ministry, the ministry of Jesus. Luke really deals with Jesus as the Son of Man or his humanity or who he was. Luke was a physician by, uh, by job or by a, a definition. Uh, Luke, that's who he was. He was a doctor. So a lot of Luke deals with uh, Jesus in terms of him being man. And, his, and then we get to the Gospel of John, which John took a little bit different bent. John talks about the divinity of God, of Christ. Amen? So each one talks about, the main thing to know, each one talks about Jesus, but each one talks about Jesus from a different point of view. And yet, each one all are saying the same thing, that there was something about this man by the name of Jesus and who he was and what his life was really means. Amen? Uh, if you want to know a couple other things, this particular John 
if you read throughout the Gospels, this is John, who was the son of Zebedee. And you can find out more about that if you go to John chapter 1, verse 14, John chapter 2, verse 11, and John chapter 19, verse 55. And it's interesting that he identifies, because sometimes John, who is the apostle, is misconfused with the apostle, or the, uh, John the Baptist. And sometimes it just says John, but you've got to be careful when you're reading so you keep the proper context. We're talking about the John who was the one that Jesus loved, the beloved of Jesus. Amen? That's the particular John we're talking about. And it's that, you find that out because like I just gave you the scripture references there because it talks about John. And John and Jesus had a very special relationship. He was also one of the apostles, or one of the twelve. He was there with Jesus in his earthly ministry, and he was a disciple of our Lord. The time frame of this, and it may not mean much to some of us, but just so you have an idea, it's around A.D. 70 to A.D. 100. A.D. means after death. So B.C. means before Christ. A.D. starts after Christ's death, starts the time frame. That's why we, why we got the year 2015 A.D., 2015 A.D., because it's after the death of Christ. It's over 2,000-some years. So about A.D. 70, 70-some 70 years after Christ, 70 to maybe 100. It's really around the time of the destruction of the temple when uh, John is doing some of his writing. Amen? The theme of the book, and I'm going to jump there, and then we'll come back to the next time, is found in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. If you want to know what this whole book is about, this is it. Anytime you read a book, anytime you read anything, you got to understand what the central theme is. What is the author trying to communicate? Be it a book, be it the book of the Bible, be it a book that you're reading, whatever you're doing, those of you who are students and go to school, you know that your teacher will ask you, so what is the main point? What is the theme of what is being said? Amen? So if you read the whole book of John, John tells us in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, this is the whole purpose of why I am writing. Reads as follows. John says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by leaving, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's it. I mean, if I said nothing more than that, that would be enough. Especially when he talks about here. Number one, point one is there are, John says, there are so many things that Jesus did, many other signs that he did in the, in, in the presence of his disciples. Those of us who were privileged to walk alongside Christ, Jesus did so many things that we can't tell it all. Number one, the other sign in the presence of disciples, and they're not written, not just in this book, but in the other books that were written by the, the apostles and the disciples. There's so many things that Jesus, we only have a snapshot of all the things. Do not think that everything that you read in your Bible is all that Jesus ever done. No, it's only a, a brief glimpse, a snapshot of his life. 
It's not his life in totality. And John says, hey, there's so many other things that he did that we can't even write, it, write in the book, all the things that he did. He said, but know this, but those that are written, the things that are written, were written so that you and I might believe, what? That Jesus is the Christ. And the world is asking the question, who is Jesus? Read the gospel. You want to know who Jesus is? Read your Bible. It'll tell you who Jesus is. That's what he's telling us right here. But what is written, these were written so that you and I might believe that he is the Christ. No if, no ands, no buts. Jesus is the Christ. He's the promised one. He's our Savior. We are saved in no other name but by the name of Jesus or Jesus Christ. I mean, if you break down his name, the name Jesus means this. The name Christ means that. He is the Savior of the world. And that's why he said, this is why I've written this book, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that he is the Son of God. Not a son, but the son. He is the very son of God. Philippians will tell you. Jesus left from the heights of heaven to come down to earth for no other reason than to save man. Say, so what? Save? What does that mean? Listen, without Christ, you're lost. Anybody without Christ, they're lost. They may not understand it. They may not think they're lost, but they are lost. Why are they lost, Pastor? Because here's the reason why. They were born in sin and shaped in iniquity, and Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ and our Savior and God the Father says, listen, I cannot stand, I do not, and I will not stand for sin. You're born in sin automatically. You don't have to do anything to, do any, uh, to inherit it. By birth, we are all sinners. And what God the Father looked at man, when man, after Adam had sinned, he says, you know what? The, the consequence of Adam's sin is now death. Not just physical death, but eternal death. I really can't have anything to do with man. So that ultimately, if he dies, he's going to be thrown into what ultimately will be, what we, what we know in the New Testament is, he will ultimately be thrown into hell. Eternal separation from God. He's a sinner, doesn't know me. Therefore, he's eternally, forever, separated from my presence. But God said, wait a minute. There is a method. There's a means. I'm not happy that this is where man is. Because by, by virtue of what he did with Adam and Eve, God said, my whole idea was that me, God, as God and man in my creation, we would commune in fellowship and be in good harmony with one another. And good old... Adam, along with his wife Eve, messed that up for all of us. And God said, hmm, how can I do, how can I bring man who's over here, and how can I bring myself who's over here, how can I bring us back to a relationship that I really want to have with man? We are God's glory in terms of who he is. God, we're the best of God's creation. And when we sin, we were... Eternally separated from God. And when you read the Old Testament and you follow what God did, what you find out is God is all from the very beginning, from Genesis chapter 3, when he talks about the serpent head and, the, and, and how the, the sun would rise up and he would catch a hold of his heel. That was the beginning of God saying, listen, I am going to provide a means of bringing man back to myself. 
I'm going to redeem. Man, that's why when you, when you not hear the word redemption, we ought to be excited. Why? Because God bought us back from the penalty of sin. Not only did he do that, but he bought us back, brought us back to himself. A loving God would have said, man is lost, man is forever, eternally separated from me. Hey, they can stay over there as far as I'm concerned. Because I gave them the very best that they could ever want and ever wanted to have. And guess what? You messed it up. I didn't mess it up. You messed it up. You want to be like me. I told you the whole realm, all of creation, everything I made was yours. Except for one thing. And you had to have the one thing I told you not to have. And we still got that battle today. God in his word has already said some things that we are to do and not to do. And we cannot point the fingers at Adam and Eve and say, you guys, million, no, we're them. What is the one thing that you and I are doing that we know from the Bible is not right? And yet, like Adam and Eve, we're going, we want to do, hold on to that exception. God said, do this. Have everything. Just don't touch the tree. And some of us just like Eve, just like Adam, are touching a tree, are doing something that we ought not to be doing, and we know it. Amen? amen. You may not want to say amen, but that's, that is the truth. Not my truth, God's truth. We, we hold on to things and we do things just like Adam and Eve because we've been blinded by the devil to believe that which is wrong and now take it to be right. We refuse to submit to the authority of God's word. And I submit to you today that myself and anybody that's in this room today, that if you and I do not submit to the authority of God's word, we will have a miserable life. You will. When we bring up a witness, call David. Why do you think he asked God to restore to him the joy of his salvation? Because when he messed up with Bathsheba, he lost his joy. It wasn't until he had to pray and his son was born and his son was died and he was mourning and he had to get his right perspective that he found out that he was asking God, oh, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And I don't know about you, but anytime I know myself, when I'm not right, I, yeah, I need God to what? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I mean, I know some of us are burdened down. That's one reason why sometimes we can look sad. Our shoulders get, you know, bent over and all that. I mean, I, I get that. But David said, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Create in me what? A clean heart. That's what many of us need to ask the Lord. Create in us a clean heart. The song said, create in me a clean heart so that I what? May be used by you. These were read that you might believe that Jesus the Christ, he is the son of God. Make no mistake about it. As sure as I'm standing in this pulpit, as soon as I'm looking at you all, I believe that he is the Christ, and I believe that Jesus is the very son of God. Amen. And I also believe this last part where he says, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The fact that I believe in Jesus means that I have life. The fact that I'm just actually living and breathing and talking to you right now. But I have a new kind of life. 
I receive eternal life in him. Why? Because I believe in him. I was talking with some of the a brother when we were up at the conference. A uh, young man, white brother, came up and sat at our table and was talking with us about his church. And they were predominantly white. And he was married to a, a black woman. And he was talking about, you know, how do we, how do we reach across the, the, the racial divide and try to draw more people? I said, you know, my, our church is kind of uh, dry and, you know, no emotion, hostile background, and um, not that I want us bouncing off the walls, but we need to be more expressive. I said, I understand your burden, brother, because you have to be Pentecostal. We got many Baptists who don't get about what it means to rejoice in the Lord, get happy in Jesus. I said, here's the problem, brother. It's about balance. You can go too far one way or the other. Listen, on a Sunday morning, if the choir of praise team, Sister Tammy is singing something, you ought to be able to raise up a hand and say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. In light of where I was, all the problems, all the pain, all the things that happened to me from Sunday to Sunday, oh, yes, yes. Whatever the title of the song is, we ought to, be, we ought to put ourselves into it. So that what? We identify with that. But if you're not coming on a Sunday morning and we're distracted by all this mess that's on the outside, oh, she can see the Sister Tammy can see the song she was singing, and you're just like, you don't even hear what she's saying. The song ministered to my heart. Amen. So I told him, I said, oh, brother, I said, you know what? I said, it's really simple. It's like what we learned at the conference. You preach the word, you teach the word, and you pray. And then you watch God work in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, and change lives. Now, if you're preaching and teaching right, and you're praying right, and they're praying right, then the result is people's lives are changed, and people are coming into the church. Now, everybody needs to take an examination of him or herself, and if that's not happening, there's a reason why. You need to ask a question for yourself. I ain't asking about, I'm not asking it for you. You need to ask a question about that for yourself. I said, so go back. Preach and teach and, and pray and, uh, you know, tell people there's nothing wrong with saying amen. I said, I'll give you a classic example. If I was to sit in this, in this conference right now and Alistair or, or David Robertson or Tim Keller was to say something that, I mean, it's really got me like, yeah, I know. And I went, say it. I guarantee you they would all look, all, six, all 1,260 men would turn around and look at me. Like, what is wrong with you? But there's nothing wrong with that. You know why I say that? I said, because I watched the last couple of games on TV. Cleveland and Atlanta and the Warriors and Houston. People standing and cheering and shouting for their team. And, and, and little cheerleaders, rah-rah, siskumba. And people just by the thousands are coming into these massive arenas for no more to watch. Ten men run up and down the court, throwing a ball. My sister's partial to LeBron, so that's why she's. And, and I'm not saying this about you, but I'm just saying this in general. Don't worry about King James. Worry about King Jesus. Amen? Oh, I appreciate LeBron and King James, but oh, I appreciate King Jesus more than I appreciate King James. 
Ain't nothing King James can do for me, but Jesus died for me. Jesus suffered for me. Jesus got up for me. All LeBron could do for me is say, hey, man, nice meeting you. God bless you. Heaven smile upon you. Get the step and keep it moving. Amen? I ain't trying to disparage disparage James. I'm just saying Jesus means more. People will pack out all these arenas by the thousands to watch a basketball game, to watch a baseball game, to watch a football game, and miss the very place. Some of us miss the very place that we ought to be in. We ought to be packing out the house of God because people need Jesus. People need a new way of living. People's lives are messed up, corrupted, on their way to hell. Families are going to be destructed. We don't know how to live, what to live, what to say, what to do. We need to come back to Jesus. And where do you do that? You do that in the church. Because Jesus died for the church. We are his bride. He's coming back for the church. A people totally different. From the world. And I told a brother, I said, I know my people get tired of hearing me talk about the church. You just go ahead and get tired of it because that's all I know. I know Jesus and I believe in the church. It's not one end or the other, it's both together. For if you have Jesus and you're right with him, you'll be right with the church. But if you don't have Jesus or you have a messed up, messed up view of Jesus, then you ain't part of the church. I'm not talking about being saved. You're not part of the church. You could be, but you're not part of the church and actively doing what the Lord wants you and I to do. It's an impossibility to be gun-ho, I'm on fire for Jesus, and don't do anything for the Lord. You can't do that. He died for us. He said, go out and, 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 and be witnesses of me. However, that manifests itself. I asked myself and I asked myself, who did you talk to? Who did I talk to this week about Jesus to get them to understand they need the Lord for salvation? I ain't going to say anymore. I'm just asking, I'm asking us the question. <laughs> that by, leaving, by believing, you may believe in his name. That's it. I believe in his name. I believe in his name. I have to believe in his name. Because there's no other name under heaven and earth whereby men might be saved, but by the name or at the name of Jesus. People don't get saved in my name. I can't do nothing for you. I ain't done nothing for you. Can't do anything for you. But if you were saved today, you're saved at the name of Jesus. Profess in your heart, believing, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ. And upon that confession, upon that believing, the Bible says you're saved. Now, what does it mean? I think, I think that's the problem we have in our church, churches today. Define what being saved means. It's not left up to you and I in our speculation of what we believe or what we've been taught or what we grew up with. Bunk all that stuff. What does the word of God say salvation is? Pastor, don't take all that. Oh. What are you talking about when you say you don't take all that? Quantify that for me. And if you're going to do it, show me from the book. Where's your scripture verse, chapter verse, that backs up what you're saying? If you don't have that, you ain't got nothing to say to me. 
Because I could take you directly to the Word of God and talk to you about what salvation is and what it entails. We're saved from the power of sin, we're saved from the presence of sin, and we're saved from the penalty of sin. Sin now has no more dominion over we, we We cop out with God. We bargain with God. No. He already said, I saved you. What does that mean? From the very power of sin. Sin no, long, sin no longer has power over us or should not have power over us. If you and I do wrong, we do wrong because we want to do wrong. We're not Flip Wilson. The devil made me do it. Because the devil can only, only influence us. He cannot control and tell us what to do. He may put, he may put the apple pie with a big scoop of ice cream in front of you. And if you were told you were not to eat the apple pie with the big scoop of ice cream, you have the choice Dr. Mwanza, you're my doctor. You tell me change my diet. Stop eating all this crazy food. Stop eating at midnight and 10 o'clock and 8 o'clock at night. Brother, you need to do A, B, C, D, and then you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And I'm looking at this pie at 8.30 at night, 9 o'clock at night, and I'm thinking, boy, that sure looks good. Somebody gave us, Sister Denise, the strawberry pie. And I still got some in my refrigerator. And I woke up this morning thinking to myself, self, after I eat dinner today, I'm having a piece of strawberry pie. <laughs> what am I trying to say? The influence is you don't have to. I don't have to. But we decide that's what we're going to do. And because we like it, we do it. And then the consequence is, brother, uh, Dr. Ross is a pastor. I hate to tell you this, but you have onset diabetes or you have diabetes type 2. And if you need And then you go, but what? Why did this happen? It happened because we did not follow the prescription that the doctor gives us. If the doctor, Jesus, gives us a prescription on how to have life and how to have life more abundantly, and we don't do it, then we get the mess that we have. And we want to blame God for our mess when really, honestly and truly, it's us that have the mess. He says, believing you may have life. The best life to live is the Christian life. Amen? Amen. It's a life pursuing, chasing after Jesus. I like what he said. He said, hey, Jesus said, hey, by the way, I've come to give you life. You want to be happy? Not a false happiness, but a happy in the sense that you're able to handle whatever comes your way. You want that? You won't be able to lift up your bow down head. Do you really want that? Or do you like misery? You know, what's the expression? Misery loves company. Some of us like that. We like it. We live in it. We enjoy it. We've been in it so long, we don't know how to get out of it. So when somebody says, man, isn't God good? Some of us could honestly say, what's so good about him? Are you kidding me? Do you know the problems I got? Do you know what I've been going through for the past 20 years? Do you know what I've been going through the past year? You're telling me God, I ain't seen nothing good about God. Ah, don't tell me that. Don't talk to me about God being my father. My father, you don't know what kind of dad I had. My father was messed up. He treated me horrible. And you're saying that, that's who God is? He's my father? I don't want to hear that. A miss, bent, twisted view of who God is. You're asking, wait a minute, wait a minute, preacher. I don't like you because you're asking me to 
divest myself of all who I think I am, and I know I'm a pretty bad person. I got, hey, you just don't know me. I got some things going on. I'm smarter than what you think I am. I know a bit more than you think I know. In fact, to be honest with you, I may know more than you know. But hey, Mr. Big Stuff, who do you think you are? Remember that song? That's how some people are. And you think to yourself, wow, Jesus said, I've come to give you life, but you don't understand something. You and I have to submit to the power and the authority of the word of God, even if you and I don't like it. Even if you like, get mad. If in, the, in the end, if it's about Jesus and the authority of his word, we take it out of the people that we see because we can't fight God, but we can fight whoever's standing in front of us. I mean, I know that. But the ultimate, the ultimate is submitting to who God is. He's like, oh, I, I, I want to give you the best life you could ever have. All you got to do is obey me. All you got to do is follow me. All you got to do is be willing to, to not be so self-absorbed in yourself, but be willing to, to be, and be used by me to help others. Follow my example. I was God. I am God. And I stepped out of my heavenly abode to step down into a world that's totally messed up. You, got an, you know, I have an example. Talk about humility. Why would... trying to think of somebody that we all would know. Why would Warren Buffett sleep on the streets of any New York, of any city when he's got more money than he can count and can and, and get any hotel room, whatever, whatever cost it may be? You know, some of these, you watch these, you watch these game shows, they send people on vacations. You got a, a, a $7,000 trip for three days and three nights. With the spas and all that, and those rooms can cost anywhere up to a thousand or two thousand. There's one room was they had in Vegas. For those of you who like to go to Vegas, there's a room up there, one of them nice fancy hotels. It's like twenty thousand dollars a night. I don't know what you get for twenty thousand, but it was twenty some thousand a night. I'm like, wow, and people use it. They got it. You know, for you and I, a dollar is a whole lot of money. Five dollars is a lot of money when you don't have. Ooh, five dollars. But when you got it, twenty thousand is like our five. It means nothing. Jesus, I come to give you life, and to give you life more abundantly. That's what we're going to be doing on the next few weeks, talking about the life of Jesus, the fact that He says in verse twenty, we're going to learn that He is the Christ, that He is the Son of God, and that by by believing in Him, you and I will have life in His name. I hope you want to have life. I hope you want to have a life that honors and glorifies God. If that's what you want, join with us in this, in this journey. Join us in this adventure as we learn about Jesus and about this life and who he is. Father, we thank you for your word.